Alright guys, welcome to CLD Talks. I'm your host Connor Maxwell. Today I'm joined by Ian Gorbett, who is the local coordinator with Children Neighbourhood Scotland. We discuss what got Ian into CLD in the first place, his current role and what he's hoping for CLD in the future. So without further ado, I give you Ian Corbett. So Ian, it'd be great if you could just tell us a wee bit about yourself and your career in CLD. I, uh, firstly, thanks very much for inviting us on, Connor. It's, it's, good, it's good to be here, although I do feel a wee bit imposter syndrome and I think I've heard a few of your, your other guests saying the same thing, but, but thank you. Uh, I suppose for me, it was a bit of a strange transition um, coming to CLD. I started off doing drama. Um, I spent a lot of years in youth theatre, um, forcibly probably by my, my parents initially, but I spent a lot of years t- treading the boards as it was. And when I left school, that, that was what I pursued. So I, I went on to do my HND um, and, and drama and performance and then went on to do my, my honours degree in performance and went back again to college to do technical theatre. Um, and going back to do the technical theatre was to, to go into do sort of community theatre and theatre education, stuff like that. So I was going, spent a lot of time working as, a, as an actor, arguably not a very good one, but um, I was doing a bit of acting. So doing sort of community projects, um, a lot of intergenerational work and, and running youth theatre groups and stuff like that. So it was through some of the connections that I was in, in that theatre world um, initially that I was asked to come and work with North Ayrshire Council. So they were looking for a theatre and education programme speaking about um, a history of Ayrshire um, and we put on a few performances with school kids and then done some workshops afterwards. Also in North Ayrshire, I was invited to come in and do summer workshops with our holiday uh, food programme. And I think that was the first time that I ever really thought about going in and trying to change, change direction from acting and sort of CLD stuff. Um, I started looking at other little sort of freelance opportunities um, and was doing a bit of detached youth work over in the Gorbals and, and things like that. But the whole time I was doing that, I was also a neighbourhood warden um, for a, a housing association. So I was... I was working in communities um, and having building those relationships with community members, but but separately, um, also doing this acting thing. And there was a lot of times where the world sort of collided. They seemed like two very different different career paths, but actually there was a lot of crossover. There was a lot of people in the housing association saying, can you actually come in and run some workshops based on the the theatre stuff I'd been doing? And also drama work that was was led on, it was led by community interests and stuff and a lot of things that I was doing within the housing association so I think that's probably the first time that I thought um, these worlds could could actually come together. Um, from there like I said I, the job in the housing association was just to keep paying the bills everything else I was doing was freelance and I was getting to sort of pick and choose what I wanted to do and at that point I, I was running a, a program of, uh, supporting a program of young activists with Peak Project over in the East End um, and, and through that, I was offered a position as a volunteer coordinator. So the Young Activist Program was just about working with young people to identify power um, and to try and make change within their local community. And whether that was at a street level or whether it was a community or whether it was citywide, we are just trying to see what are their priorities and, and how, can we, how can we act upon them. From that, um, like I said, I got the, the volunteer coordinator position and started working with young people um, who were looking to volunteer their time within the community and were looking with accreditation um, and recognition for the, the, the volunteering that they were doing. So we were delivering loads of different awards, um, Youth Achievement, Dynamic Youth Arts Awards, and making sure that not only was their time given to the community trying to make a change, um, but also that they were receiving recognition for that going forward. So 
When I left the Peak Project, I went to my, my, my current role, which is with Children's Neighbourhood Scotland. Um, and Children's Neighbourhood Scotland is an organisation that's based in Glasgow Uni, uh, and it has two main work streams, which is quite unusual, and it's probably the thing that attracted me to it. Um, the first part is a research project. So we have a full research team at Children's Neighbourhood Scotland, and the aim of that is to amplify the voice of children and young people. How we do that is a thing called capabilities research, um, and it's a model to basically establish children and young people's priorities for well-being, the, the things that they think is most important for living a, a long and healthy and happy life sort of thing. So what we do is we go into schools or youth groups and whatever, and we do a bit of research. Initially, that's a, a survey of 25% of the whole school role, say if we went to a school to make sure that there's a good representation. That survey is collated, um, and there's 12, um, 12 capabilities um, but it's sort of 12 factors for living a, living a healthy and long life. And within that, they identify their top five and then we'll go in and do workshops over eight weeks to have in-depth conversations about what, what those capabilities are um, and why they chose them and what that means to them in practice. Where I think it's, it's exciting and where I think it's a bit different is what then happens with that information. So those reports um, are, are generated and they go upwards and downwards, um, which I think is kind of key. So that information is fed into local authority and is also um, offered up to Scottish government to try and influence the sort of policy-making decisions with young people's priorities in mind. So if they're looking to say, well, what do young people think about X, Y, and Z? We can say, well, this is what it is and this is how we know. And we've done that across six sites. So we've got three sites in Glasgow. So we work Castle Milton Drumchapel, which are the two I work in, um, Bridgeton Dumarnock. We also work in Radnor Park, which is in Clydebank, Western Bartonshire, and we work in South Lanarkshire in a rural town, the uh, Rigside, that I know you'll know, and Smilem in Lanark. So we've got a wide breadth of urban areas, rural areas, um, and it gives us a, a really good comparison. What's vitally important for Marrow, I suppose, is that that information's fed back down the way. So the, the, those reports that come for the research are given back to the school to do the, what they please. A lot of them are fed back that it's good for their school improvement planning to say that they've got this consultation with young people and then they can design their school improvement with that in mind. But my role as a coordinator, um, that, that, that report then becomes a mandate to go and make change in the community. So when I go into somewhere like Drumchapel, I've got no real business as a, a boy for Paisley <laughs> trying to make influence things in Drumchapel, do you know what I mean? And I'm aware of that. So that gives me the sort of stimulus to go into the area and say, right, what about we try this? Because this is what the kids are saying. This is what your, your children or your nieces or nephews or grandkids or neighbours or whatever, this is what they want to see. Um, and then we try and work on that. And and to be honest, it's the reception to that has been amazing. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's not just adults being asked what kids think, but it's actually, this is what the kids think now. How do we pull our socks up and go on with it? So I suppose that's a, a, brief, a brief overview of... Um, what I've done and where I'm at at the moment in Children's Neighbourhood. No, brilliant, man. And I think what's really important is the information is fed back. Because that's the one that I was going to ask you about that because a lot of the times there can be consultation activities and information goes all these different places, but then the people who have provided the information, what do then they get with it? So it's brilliant that you make sure that that happens. I think that is uh, is very important. And to, I'll be honest, there's, there's been a bit of hesitancy to engage um I'm not hesitant to say as such, but I think people are conscious that a lot of universities can come in, do research and disappear with information. They extract what they need and they go. Um, 
And I'm really keen to build that relationship with the communities and between the universities to say that we both need to get better at this. Do you know what I mean? Actually, if we're coming in as a university, we should be seen as a resource. So the time, then, the work that we're doing should be for the community and we should be actioning that because we have the in-depth information to say like what, what's going to make change here. But also, I think the communities need to understand that I think there's a feeling in communities sometimes that if you're not from that community, you don't understand it as well. And that's true. But it's then about how do we properly collaborate and how do we properly pull together and say, right, well, you know the community and we've got the research. How do we work together and make this work? And I think on the most part, it's been a, a real success. In the communities I work in, Castle Milton and Drumchapel, are both really open to making things um, informed by youth voice. And while we're picking up other opportunities to, to feed youth and um, children's voices into other streams of work that isn't directly related to the research as well. So pretty exciting stuff. No, definitely, man. It sounds really good. And I think especially with how um, people are really reacting to this type of work just now, people want to be more active within their community. So hopefully then that just keeps going and keeps building stronger for you, man. I, I, was saying, I think that the pandemic has also allowed people to restructure their thinking. I think everybody was so busy. I think up to COVID-19 happening, trying to actually slot into these communities would have been a lot more difficult. Whereas now, I think there's a bit of breathing space. Well, no, maybe not so much now, but maybe like last summer, people were going, right, how do we make change? How do we ensure that going forward and going into recovery, that the things we are doing are led by the people that we're serving? And how do we make sure that everything that we do is with that in mind? Um, so I think actually that allowed us a real space to go in and have those conversations while things had slowed down a bit during the lockdown. So as much as that was a terrible time and terrible things were happening, there, there was... It did create a bit of space within that that we could have um, build build some relationships within the communities. So it was there was good sides, I suppose. Yeah, definitely, man, definitely, man. So then, um, why did you decide in a career in CLD? So what was it that made you make the change from drama to CLD? Um, so when I was younger, I was a bit, bit of a torag, to put it lightly, I suppose. <laughs> um, like I said earlier on, I was sort of pushed into drama and that was a sort of diversionary thing for my parents because I was running about with, with, with the young team as we would have called it. I suppose you would say gangs and stuff now. We never really seen it as that. We've seen it as a, a group of friends who were drinking and involved in violence and run-ins with the police and all that. The usual stuff, do you know what I mean? Anybody that grew up in the early 2000s or probably before that was exposed to that sort of young team um, and culture, um, if you can call it that. But my parents put me into youth theatre to try and divert me away from that. So I was kind of leading a double life for a while where I was like doing Cats or Blood Brothers on a Saturday afternoon and then tucking my socks into my joggies and getting a bottle of wine and getting it on a Saturday night. So it was <laughs> a, weird, a weird world that I was living in. Um, and it was only, it was years later and it was more of a conscious choice. Um, you start looking around, the stuff that we were doing, the stuff we were involved in, the casual violence just for the sake of it amongst friends and with other groups and stuff was crazy. Do you know what I mean? And crazy the relationship with alcohol and drugs and and not maybe it's not specifically myself, but just all around about was just wasn't healthy. And I think when I got to early twenties and I started going to uni, started seeing people going to jail. And it's age old story. I mean, dead dead in jail is where they said you were going to end up. And one of my best pals died in a car crash drink driving. He'd actually try to take his cell away. Um, Aye, uh, no, no, not a problem, but he'd went away to try and start a new life, so he'd moved to Australia um, and ended up still drink, driving over there and crashed his car and died, and it was it was at that point, I think I saw, I was like, well, wait a minute, 
this this life isn't right. Do you know what I mean? It's no, and it wasn't a direct transition into CLD. It was more of a I need to pull my socks up and get out of this and start thinking about what I'm going to do. And at that sort of time, I was also like I'd said earlier, getting bits of work in like North Ayrshire Council, working in the holiday food programs, and I was seeing the smiles on kids' faces and and stuff like that through the drama work that I was doing, and I was going well actually. There's probably more to this, do you know what I mean? And, and it was quite unusual for somebody like me who was out drinking and fighting and running about in gangs, but also doing acting and <laughs> treading the boards and, and doing that sort of stuff. So those there wasn't a lot of people like me doing that, doing both. So I thought, well, how do I try and move myself into a space where I can help the people who are like me, who are out there? And I'm, I'm now I've now I've got a better understanding of like ACEs and childhood trauma and stuff. I can see how a lot of this stuff happens, but that wasn't my story. Do you know what I mean? I, I wasn't greatly exposed to trauma as much as some of the people I knew were. I, I didn't grow up in abject poverty the way some of my friends did and stuff like that. So I also wanted to understand a bit more why why I was behaving the way I did and, and that sort of stuff. So I started trying to put myself in positions where I could learn more about community development but learn more about myself and try and make changes to stop even one one person going down the road that some of my pals had done and end up jail or dead or whatever and it was a, a conscious decision to try and carve a pathway then that allowed me to help young people um, and it was young people specifically although I work with children and young people it, it was the, those sort of teenagers the ones that the, the ones that I could relate to and the ones that I seen the ones I knew in my pal group that I could see where that was going do you know what I mean and it didn't matter how many adults told you this is the way it's going to end up, because they did. Um, it was about trying to then say, how can I intervene? Because actually, in reality, drama, ironically, was the thing that probably steered me enough off of that track to, to put me in another direction. Do you know what I mean? And it was like, well, how? No, everybody wants to do drama, but everybody wants to do something. Everybody's got a passion somewhere. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So how can I try and get involved in that and, and help them find that sort of thing? Yeah, and I think it's really important as well that you're using your lived experience to then inform the, the work that you're doing and all the work that you were doing at the time when you were making that choice as well, because it's really reflective at that point then to say, well, do you know what? <clears throat> how? Why was I behaving this way? How can I make a difference? And how can I then hopefully try and stop others going down the same, same path that I could have went down and people that you know, man? And I think that's, that's really important to use that within the context of your work. Aye, no, absolutely. Um, and I think there's even things like, that, that that's experience doesn't stop. I've got a few convictions for the police for, for those times when I was running about in it. But nothing serious, nothing that stops me working with, with, with vulnerable groups or anything like that, but enough that it was a hurdle. Do you know what I mean? And I think even being able to have that, authentically have that conversation with young people who are getting a cell and they're like, oh, it's only this or it's only that. Well, I can say, well, actually, this can, this can really stop you. Do you know what I mean? This can really cause problems. And I've been lucky that actually the organisations I've worked for have I've realised that taking those experiences and working through them and then sharing them is important. But there are loads of jobs I went for, maybe not in this sector, where it was just a straight no. You've got a couple of convictions and then and didn't go. So my, my career path could have went a completely different way. But if you've got a set way that you want to be, if you want to go, I went for a job as a postie when I was maybe 20 or whatever. They just said, no, point blank, because I had convictions. Now, if you want to go and be a postman and that's what you want to do, then, and that's their attitude, then that's done. And, and it could be a stupid decision. That was a breach of the peace. Singing. I, I was singing in the street and the police told me to stop and I didn't. Kept doing it. Kept telling me to shut up and I, I kept no doing it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I was drunk and, and it's ridiculous seeing me say it out loud. It sounds stupid. Why did I not stop singing? 
because I was full of buckfast and thought I was cool. Do you know? Like, but actually, that's hindered me in the future. So being able to have those conversations with young people and say, it seems daft, but it might not be. Do you know what I mean? And and if you don't know what path you want to go, or if you do know what path you want to go, think about that and think about the impact that that's going to have going forward. Do you know what I mean? Because that's... And definitely, since you've actually had a, a real life knockback from that, then people, the young people, can then can listen and relate. Hopefully, so Aye. then rather than so I've never had a conviction. So if I'm speaking about it, I can't say that. Well, I've had this experience, so it might not have as much sort of weight behind it before, but behind what I'm sort of saying. But you do have that, which is important to use that as one of your skills. Absolutely, but there's also a flip side to that, and I think that it's important to go. That even though I did have that knockback. I still worked for North Ayrshire Council. I still worked with Peak Project. I'm still working in a university. If you'd <laughs> seen me at 18, the chances of me going to university was slim, never mind working for one. Do you know what I mean? So there's still, I, you can speak about the hurdles, but there's also a message to say, like, there are also things that you can do and you can turn that around and you can have those conversations. So when you're speaking to young people who maybe are already past that line, who've already got a few convictions and stuff, and I think, well, doesn't matter. That's I'm already on that path. Well, actually, no. It's it's not too late. There are there are ways that you can also make that work for you. Do you know what I mean? And turn those experiences around. So hopefully, there's a bit of hope in that as well. Do you know what I mean? To say that either there are real setbacks, and I can talk about how how that how that felt at that time and those experiences. But equally, I'm in a good position. Do you know? I'm in a, I'm in a job that I love and a, a well respected organisation and, and stuff like that. So it can go both ways. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Totally, man, totally. So has there been any role models or has there been MD that you've sort of looked up to in your career? I so I, I was thinking about this when you sent the questions over and I, I don't have a one a one person. Um, arguably, potentially my wife, Rebecca, who is a participatory arts coordinator, um, is the one person that I look at and go, her work ethic and, and her attitude and her ability to keep me in check and rein me in when I'm being mental and stuff like that as the person. Um, but in a professional capacity, there's learning everywhere and there's influence absolutely everywhere, particularly in this. It's a, it's a, a, CLD's a sector that's built on humanity and kindness. Do you know what I mean? And I, I think if you don't take inspiration for that, then... The, the, I, like, so I'm just thinking recently about practitioners that, that I've worked with. Um, the guy Peter Divers, who works in Drumchapel, works for G15 Youth Project as a, a youth worker and also works for Men Matter Scotland. And the relationships I see that he has with young community members and his, his drive just to make things better is inspirational to me. Do you know what I mean? It's not to say that I would always do things the way he does it or whatever, but it's inspiring. I go over to where I'm working in Castle, Castle Milk and I look at Castleton Housing Association. has got a community team where they have a youth advisory panel that is involved in all of the decision-making processes of the housing association. So that they're taking that youth voice, putting it into action and making sure that all the decisions they make are have young people involved. To me, that's inspirational. Do you know what I mean? That's a role model and that's something that we should be following. Like I said earlier, I was thinking about um, adverse childhood experiences and, and trauma-informed practice and toxic stress. And I, there's people, Kirsty Giles and Callum Hutchison, for example, who I could listen to talk all day. Do you know what I mean? And that's, it's not so much that they're a role model and I want to copy everything they do, but it's a genuine source of inspiration. Um, also, the people who volunteer, do you know what I mean? Like your, your local people. Um, in Castlemilk, there's a woman there, and you might already be aware of her, a lot of people are, called Maureen Cope. Um, and I, I sit on Castlemilk together, sort of the professional network meeting. And 
She's got an MBE for community activism for, for 40 years of activism in, uh, in Castle Milk. That's phenomenal. Being able to sit and have a conversation with somebody who's who's got that wealth of experience of, of developing their own community and shaping their own community, but not getting paid for it is, is phenomenal. They're doing that because that's what they want to do. Do you know what I mean? And they want to genuinely make change. And the same again over on Drumchapel. I'm involved in a group, Keep Drumchapel Tidy. And there's a woman there, Tanith Diggory, who is doing the same. She's single-handedly litter-picking the whole of Drumchapel. Um, because she cares, because she lives yeah. there and she wants to make a difference. And, and to me, that's inspiring. Um, young people, young people who are getting involved in, in groups um, and, and using their time wisely, or the volunteers that I worked with at Peak Project are giving up their time to go and help other community members. And they're all role models, do you know what I mean? And I think that's, that's the wonder of this sector, is you're going to learn for every person you meet, whether they're 14, whether they're, they're 65, do you know what I mean? They're bringing a wealth of experience and, and love and care. Um, and I think that's that, that's why I probably couldn't pick one role model. Um, and it had to be like a, a list yeah. of people. Do you know what it's I mean? so difficult, but because even then, like I think back to this question and there isn't just a single person. So uh, it's I think it's a nice question to try and also just think back and reflect a wee bit just to see who's maybe helped you along the way, but also like what you've done, the current people that are currently involved yeah. and are making a difference it's, it's important to recognize them as well because we see so many inspiring people so it's important to Aye. acknowledge that and share what they are doing i think there's also on a bigger scale like a shift towards working class voices being a, being recognized more so looking at graham armstrong who's wrote the, the the young team has probably done more to get young people young men in particular into literature than anything I can remember. Um, train spotting potentially, um, but people re people relate to that and resonate. People that I know never picked up a book have read that book. Do you know what I mean? And that's somebody from a scheme, from a young team who's now out winning prizes in literature all over the place. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's Dan McGarvey as well. Um, with the, the stuff he's done on poverty safari and class wars, and it's not to say that I agree with everything that, that they say but it's just important to have somebody out there articulating, speaking eloquently, challenging stereotypes, and for young people to see people that talk like them, that grew up like them, that come from places like them, making a difference in challenging power structures and being able to go, right, wait a minute, there's, there's people like me out there doing this, so I can do it. It's no uh, politicians in Westminster with ties, and do you know what I mean? You can throw on a pair of joggies and go and have a conversation that's just as important, um, and I think that's important to see these people in that, um, in that environment, trying to have these conversations and make change. Um, oh, definitely, man. You know, I, I like that. Fling on a pair of joggies and you can still have a conversation that makes change, man. That's class. That's, <laughs> and you know, it's so true. It's so true. Like, I, I'm I'm a very laid back dresser and people always sort of be like, why are you always wearing shorts? Doesn't he? You know, and that that's my sort of thing. But it's like, well, doesn't make a difference really what I wear, does it? So... Aye. Aye. No. I heard somebody saying before, it's the people that are trying to kid on that wear the suits. It says the people that are on the ground making a difference doesn't matter what they wear. It says you look at your billionaires, you look at um, the guys that own Apple or Elon Musk and all these guys and other pair of t-shirt and a pair of jeans, do you know what I mean? It's the ones in the middle uh, <laughs> that are, are nodding that. So it shouldn't matter what you wear, it shouldn't matter how you talk or where you come from. If you're talking sense and you've got ideas and you're wanting to make a change for the better, then the rest of the material as far as I'm concerned do you know what I mean yeah, totally man so then what memorable moments have you had or any highlights that you've had so far 
millions. <laughs> Again, it's the same with the role model thing. It's just just another little moment of beauty in CLD. Isn't it? It's whether it can be a, a one line in a conversation or it can be seeing things flipped on their head completely. And But one of the things that stuck with me, um, the first residential, when I was going to be project of volunteer coordinator, the first residential that we went on, um, we were up in Lockmore, Lip near Aviemore. And there was a, a lot of young people were sitting on the beach and we'd been doing volunteer training and stuff through the day. But this time we were just chilling. Some of them were splashing about in the water with a campfire going and we're just chilling on the beach. I overheard a few of them talking to each other, saying that it was the best time that they'd ever had. Um, and it was the, be the best night of their life or whatever. And hearing that, do you know what I mean? And being part of that is amazing. And that stuck with me, but it's came back a bit and it's resonating with me more now is I'm starting to see them going on their CLD journeys. So that was a good few years ago now. And now you're seeing them taking up internships or starting in CLD organisations and stuff. And I think that's when you go, right, that's, that was a seed. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that night was a, I had a brilliant night. Do you know what I mean? I know, I know it was a good night, and I know that it was, it was nice to be there. It's nice to hear that, but now seeing that and, and going right, well, I'm not claiming it by any stretch to have been the one that made the difference, but you're part of that journey. Um, and then when you start to see them going on their own journey, and, and you can you can see, do you know what I mean? They probably don't see it themselves, but you can see that they're going to go on and they're going to have their groups of kids on residentials who are going to sit and say that that's the best night of their life. And, and these people are going to go on to make changes. And it's probably for me the first time I've been able to use the hindsight in CLD and go, this is happening. Do you know what I mean? You're seeing people who, who you are there to support now going on to support other people. And I think that's pretty special. Um that those people are then going to make a difference. So that's probably one of them. That's brilliant as well, man. It's good It's good to see that. It's really, really good to see that. And I'm actually, Aye. at the moment, there's two volunteers that have just applied for a sessional post. So I'm in that wee bit of, I really hope that they get it because they've got real potential, you know. So Aye. that's good, man. Aye. It's a good it's, moment. And it's, it's, it's like a Wayne's first day at uni or something, that you don't realise, like, because you care. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you do this job because you care and you want to see, see them doing well. And Aye. But when they, when they start doing well, it's it's great. And I, I don't really have contact with any people anymore. Do you know what I mean? It's not like I'm, I, I still keep in close contact. I'm in a different role and I've went on and they're living their lives. But you still hear and you still hear through the grapevine and stuff and see what they're doing on, on Twitter and stuff like that. And it's just good to see. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. I think another thing that, that's probably sticks with me is, is actually something that's happening right now. And so, like I said, with the work that we do, we've done some consultation work in Drumchapel with Langfolds Primary School and with G15 Youth Project about what it's like to live in Drumchapel, what it's like to be. So what's good about it? What's what's the best bits? Who are the people that are making change and stuff like that? But also, what are the challenges? And one of the challenges that came up for both the primary school and the young people, and bear in mind they're probably 12 years apart, these two groups, was the, the, the state of the streets and the litter and, and the stuff like that. And People were embarrassed to say they lived there because people thought, oh, Drumchapel's bogging and blah, blah. And I was like, so had a conversation with them to say, like, what can we do about it? And they were like, it would be good if there was a group that could tackle it and we could try and do a bit of education work and tell kids to stop dropping litter and get all the litter gone and all that sort of stuff, blah, blah. So from that, I met with a group and it was Peter that I'd mentioned, Antanith actually that I'd mentioned earlier um, and a couple of others. And we all came together and we formed a group called Keep Drum Chapel Tidy, who are doing exactly what the kids asked for. Um, and for me, that's to be able to directly action what the, child, the, the children are saying, the children and young people are saying, and to give it back to them. To say, go back into the schools and say, this is what you said you wanted. This is how you said you would like to see it tackled. And this is us doing it. Do you know what I mean? And we've managed to get the kids and stuff involved, but 
it seems simple. You're not picking up some litter, but it's years worth of litter that we're picking up, so it's not been happening. Do you know what I mean? And I think it's to see to see the look in their faces when they go, we suggested something and adults are doing it. It is quite important because it's sort of fostering that culture of activism. Um, and, and it's sort of going, right, well, actually, what we say does matter. Do you know what I mean? There are people that are listening. There's no people just saying, all right, I understand what you're saying. We'll see what we can do. There's people out there going, right, okay, well, let's do it. Do you know what I mean? And the kids have said, let's get this done. And then we've been back to them and said, have you seen the difference? And we've got them involved in like poster making campaigns and stuff about keeping them chapel tidy. And But as much as it's good for the community, uh, getting the place tidied up, it's seen the kids, it's seen that penny drop that actually, this is because we said it. Do you know what I mean? That that's the thing yeah. that I think it's not the stuff had to happen. And it and it might have happened anyway, because the adults were all talking about it and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? It is a big problem across the community. But for the, the kids and to be able to say this is what the problem is, and this is what we see a solution being, just adults going out and doing it and then creating a group and contacting the council and, and all that sort of stuff. And to go back and say everything that you said, this is we're doing it, and this is what time scales, and right now we're doing a big cleanup right through June and and you just see them sort of going, all right, wait, okay. So then it's, it's good to start that conversation and go, right, well, well what's next? Do you know what I mean? Like, what, what do you want from us next? And how can we make the place that you live the place you want to live? Do you know what I mean? And I think that's it's exciting to see. Um, uh, so many things are youth-led and small scale. Do you know what I mean? Every every youth worker could probably tell you the priorities of what their, their group or, or, or individuals, of what they want. But starting to look at things on a bigger scale and try to feed it into local authority level and trying to make changes on a bigger scale, but also having that constant communication with the children to say, we're doing this because you've asked for it and this is how we're doing it. Do you know what I mean? And that, I think for me, that's the exciting bit. So. Yeah, definitely, man. But again, it's just that thing back that you're feeding back to them, which is so, so important. So it's not just this, we've asked you these questions and you never hear the results. You have told them the results, but you're also acting on what they've said, which is so, so important, yeah. man. So, so important. Aye. And to be honest, you see, it snowballs because they want to get involved. So they want to get involved. And if they can't directly get involved, they're asking their parents to get involved. So then their parents are contacting and saying, how can we get involved? And, and actually, we've got a website where people can sign up. And there's, there's people out there every day, litter picking. And that's because the kids said, we want the litter gone. Do you know what I mean? And that's, it just shows you the power. Do you know what I mean? Like, everybody wanted that. Everybody wanted that to happen. But it was just those group of kids identifying that it had to happen. And and also how it can happen. And I think that's important. It's not it's not adults going away and saying, right, the kids want this, we'll go and solve it. It's saying to them, like, well, what, what does a solution look like to you? What does this look like when it's fixed? Mm. And trying to make it happen the way they want it to happen. Because there are no kids for long, do you know what I mean? And if we can start instilling that sort of activism culture in them when they're P6, P7, or, or even younger, when they get to 19, 20, 21, and they're students and whatever, and they're still in that same community, they know that their voice counts. Do you know what I mean? And they know that they can take a stand and they can start making things happen. And hopefully that you'll start to see the effects of that ripple on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally, mate. Totally. So um, has there been any challenges or any setbacks that you've had? And then if so, what have you learned from them? Hundreds again. <laughs> Hundreds again. <laughs> and I think, I, had a, I know you said this, over, not knowing the answer, I think for me, it took a a while for me to get comfortable with not knowing the answer and not just trying to wing it and not just trying to say what you think the answer is. <laughs> um, so if somebody, it's a community member or particularly a young person where, where you know there's a bit of looking up to you going on and saying, right, well, if actually, if you're, if you're wanting to make 
if we want to make change and you're the person that we, we have to, to follow in that, that journey, what do we do here? It's hard to turn around and go, I don't know. It's not, it's not so hard now, but it was something for a while. I was just like crawling inside myself going, oh, this is a nightmare. They're asking me things I can't answer that and, and, and that sort of thing. But now, now I see it as an opportunity. Um, touching on the role models thing earlier on, it's every opportunity is a learning opportunity. And, and what vitally I think is important is it's an opportunity to build the relationship. I think that vulnerability within the people supporting communities is important. Do you know what I mean? They need to know that you're not just going to wing it when you don't know the answer. So I think for me to, to address that and to learn from it is to try and go on that journey together. And that sounds a bit cliche, but if if we don't, if somebody asks something and we don't know the answer, then let's work together to find that answer. Do you know what I mean? And just say, be honest and say, I don't know. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I don't know, but I'll find it and I'll make you part of that process and uh, we'll build the understanding and knowledge together. And those conversations that you're having when you're looking for that information or when you're looking for an answer or you're looking for a solution, are building trust and building relationships between you and what, what the young person or the community member or, or the colleague, whoever it is, do you know what I mean, that, that you're having that with. And it's, it's an opportunity for you to prove your commitment and your consistency and say, I'm devoted to making change here, but that doesn't mean I've got all the answers. Do you know what I mean? But if there is something that you want and there's something that's important to you, then I will work with you to make sure that we can address that. And I think that took a bit of time. And I'm not saying by any stretch I've perfected that at all, because there's still people say things and it stumps you and you're like, but that used to daunt me a little bit, particularly when you're no long in the journey. I could talk to you about drama and acting all day long, but when I first came over to sort of CLD, people were talking about things. People would say something about locality planning. I'm like, what's locality planning? Do you know what I mean? And I think, yeah. do you know what I mean? And it's... Or if somebody asked you that, so somebody said to me, what is locality planning? And I didn't really understand myself. Do you know what I mean? I'd be a bit like, ah. But, but I think now it's, it's all right to know that you don't know it, you don't know everything. Do you know what I mean? But, but you are willing to share that experience and, and find it out and help them to, to get to the point that they want to get to with them and not just to them. Yeah, and do you, you, I sometimes feel like there's an expectation that if you've been run about for a long time, you just sort of know what things mean. And, you know, and, like, I, I learned that sort of, I didn't really, so I, I volunteered, a sessional, I became a full-time member of staff in the same organisation, so it wasn't until when I became full-time, people were saying things just like that, and you don't know, but then it's like, but I should, so can I ask, can I not ask, where do you sort of stand with that, you know, and it's, there's an expectation if you've came through a sort of system where you've got a certain amount of years experience that you do just know, and it is really uncomfortable sometimes to say, well I don't. Aye, absolutely, I found that, but actually moving into this job in, in children's neighbourhood, a lot more acronyms, <laughs> now if, I, if you don't ask what the acronym means, the rest of the conversation has no context. So if, if you are having a conversation in a professional setting and people say that the, the ASYTL is this and blah, blah, you're not listening to the rest of the, that conversation. You're going, what is ASYT? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and you, So for me, it's now just about saying, listen, I don't know what that acronym is. Can you clarify for me? And, and then you know, do you know what I mean? <laughs> you can have the conversation. You're listening to the rest. You're not sitting panicking going, I'm out my depth here and, and whatever. And, I think that's important. And nobody's ever said they're not going to 
maybe never answered. Do you know what I mean? It's not as if they're like, oh, you should know that, or blah, blah. They just answer you and get on with the conversation. So, yeah. My um, first experience with that, I remember, was Garfick. As in a team meeting, we were talking about it was like, so you need to use the, you need to use Garfick, you need to use the wheel, you need to make sure, blah, blah, blah. And I was sitting there just like, oh my God, what is this? Like, I've, I've, <laughs> I've heard somebody mention it before. I know there's a few posters, but that was my knowledge at the time, you know, I was new. Aye. And then it took me, I sat that whole meeting just being like, don't know what you're on about. And then ended up way Googling it and then having to ask. And, but it is, it can be daunting. It can totally be done. Particularly in this, I, I think the CLD sector is so fast paced. I think it is well when you start a, when you start a new job. I don't even think it's ignorance. I think people just don't really realise that you maybe need a bit more info than they've maybe given. And they're a million miles an hour, so they've just wrote what they think you'll need there and then and gave you as a sort of induction or whatever. And it's just it's not a, a conscious decision to, to not give you the arm you with all the tools. It's just people are like. I've written a million miles an hour. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, it's just an oversight sometimes. But it, it does. I, I think now I've absolutely got the confidence just to say, listen, I don't know what that means. Or can you can you clarify what that is or whatever? And it makes the world a difference. And, and to be honest, I think people appreciate it. They know if you don't know. If they, if they ask you a question five minutes later on something that you've got no idea about, if you've no ask, like, what's he sitting there looking stupid for? When if you just right. say, what, what, is, what is that acronym or what does that mean? You appreciate it. You're, you're going to have a, a better conversation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally, man. Totally. Um, so then, is there anything that you would change in CLD? I so the one thing that comes comes to mind that when I had a look at the wee things, the guidance that you would maybe talk about was, I'd like to see pathways for people who have worked in large or, large organisations, whether that's the bigger third sector organisations or local authority or or in academia, or whatever that be, to go back to grassroots. Um, and by that, what I mean is that the financial security and terms and conditions are comparable with the big organisations. And I know that's hard, um, and I know that funding doesn't always allow that, but I think what you see is people who transition from being young people or service users into CLD, they gain the knowledge and expertise in that organisation and within that community, and they have a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of relationships and stuff like that. But as you as you grow as an individual, then you start looking at ways to protect yourself and protect your family, and you start looking at what happens if I get sick, or what happens if I need maternity pay, or what happens if um, I have a bereavement, or, or do you know what I mean? And the things the things in life that happen, and I think so often people leave the grassroots organisations and go to bigger organisations or a local authority or, or wherever, wherever they go or into teaching and whatever. Because some of it's absolutely because they're passionate about it and that's where they want to go. And by all means, that is what they should do. But some people go because it offers them more security. Do you know what I mean? If you're going to buy a mortgage that's a good chunk of your salary and you might get sick, then you need to know that you can still pay your mortgage. Do you know what I mean? And, and I think it's that same kindness and humanity that we're talking about when people give to their community, that they start looking at their family with that same kindness and humanity and, and start going, well, how do I protect the people that, that are mine? Do you know what I mean? And that they're living there. And what I'd like to see is that protection being offered in grassroots um, organisations. Because also the, the other thing with that is, is there's a clear pathway back the way. So not only is it about the individual having protection, but 
if you if you start off in a grassroots organisation and then go and work in a local authority or go and work in a university, you're gaining skills and experience that most people won't have in that grassroots organisation. So when you're looking at a viable career progression opportunity, it would be amazing for, for the salary and the terms and conditions to be comparable for people to actually consider going back to a small local youth group. Do you know what I mean? With that wealth of skills and experience that could actually develop that youth group so much more. But I think so many people are put off because it's just safer to stay in other places. Now, you'll find, obviously, across the board, the board, so many board members are people like that who started off in grassroots and went into other job roles and then I went back because that's that's probably the easiest way to support grassroots, right? Mm-hmm. Now, is to go back to your board member and, and support them and um, that facility but it would be amazing just to see people being able to interchange between the two and I think the barrier to that isn't that people don't want to I think it's just that there's a bit more safety in some of the bigger organisations and I'd like to see the funders reflect that in a way that meant that those transitions could happen more easily and I, I know that's not the case everywhere do you know what I mean I'm not claiming that no funder allows for that to happen or, or whatever but I would like that to be the, the rule rather than the exception and that if you're a manager um, in a community team with a local authority, it doesn't seem crazy to go back to being the manager in a, a, a small youth project and, and a scheme somewhere, do you know what I mean? And, and you get the same sort of protection. Now, I know that's maybe not always possible or viable, but it's the thing I would like to see change. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So how do you think it could change? I think probably CLD organisations need more recognition. And I think the pandemic has shown how vital these organisations are. And I think if it's public funding, if you take a local authority, for example, it's public funding that funds a local authority. So if you're looking at funders that are dealing with public funds, then there's no reason why the money afforded to a small organisation, which is actually helping on the ground in the community, should be different from the roles offered in a local authority. Do you know what I mean? Because they're serving a similar purpose. Do you know what I mean? Maybe on a different scale, but I think the flexibility and adaptability of these organisations means that they're crucial within the community. And I think it's maybe about looking at the power structures in communities. And and I think there is a lot of that going on. Do you know what I mean? I think there is a lot of empowering communities, but maybe not actually looking at job spec and not maybe not looking at terms and conditions uh, and the things that, that actually empower you, do you know what I mean? Like, as, as an individual, so, and, and probably in a personal capacity rather than a professional one, like, mm-hmm. you probably feel more empowered if you have your own house and your own car and the ability to, to have that autonomy to choose where you live and choose where you travel to and stuff like that. But you need that to come from a salary in terms and conditions and stuff that allow you to have that lifestyle, do you know what I mean? So I would like to see the funding match or, or, or at least be competitive with the, the salaries of the, the bigger organisations yeah. I don't have the answer I don't have, it's a tough question that um I, but, that's it. but I think that then, if you know, it's one of the ones, I think if you you know something that you'd like to change, it's always good to try and have some form of solution. But there isn't always a solution, especially when it's something like this. So, like, this is maybe my ignorance. But so if you then apply for, um, if you apply for, say, the big lottery fund and you're getting hundreds of thousands of pounds, is it the big lottery who dictates the terms and conditions for the staff or is it the organisations themselves? 
or is it, or, is, it, or does it depend on the individual circumstances? And if you're going for, I think for me, one of the biggest problems is if you're trying to apply for a pot of money, you want your application to be as appealing as possible. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So, essentially, you want to say that you can deliver the highest service on the least amount of money. Totally. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, if you're applying for a staff salary, then you want to make that staff salary reasonable that you that it seems like you're paying your staff enough and whatever but also not that you're asking for loads on top of it and i think that, to, to be honest i'm a bit ignorant in that myself but i think that there's probably a bit of that i think there's a third sector um grassroots third sector have been selling themselves short i think is is the reality and that and a bid it's so competitive you go even in like one area, you go to the East End of Glasgow and there's a pot of money comes out with one of the big funders. Nearly every organisation is going for that for one project or another. Do you know what I mean? So you need to make sure that you're all competitive. And with that, I think where in other industries, salaries have drove themselves up. Do you know what I mean? They remain competitive. So they're offering a bit more money. We better offer a bit more money. When you're asking for money, the way of making yourself competitive is keeping or driving yourself down slightly. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, well, they're more appealing because they're offering the same for um, uh, a pound less or an hour or whatever. Do you know what I mean? And that's, I think that kind of stagnates that way. So I, I think it's, I think it probably needs a real shift. And, and I think right now we're coming out with this recovery of the COVID stuff and looking at the response of third sector in particular grassroots, they deserve it. Do you know what I mean? They absolutely deserve it. It'd be good. So if there's anyone listening who is a who works for a third sector organization that deals with the staffing and the funding, it'd be good just to sort of maybe hear for you, just to sort of see maybe how that works, because that's something that um I think both of us don't really have the answer for. So it'd be good if somebody did so that we could maybe mm-hmm. have an understanding. Um and we can add that into um, a tweet or the podcast or something, we can sort that out. So if you're listening and you know a wee bit there about this sort of stuff, please give us a shout. Um, we'd appreciate it. Uh, absolutely. absolutely. Um, so, nice one. Um, so, just now, where where is CLD just now, but then also how do you see it changing or developing? I think CLD is in a strong, strong position. I, I sort of touched on it in that last one, but the response from all CLD organisations when the pandemic hit was nothing short of phenomenal. Like, do you know what I mean? It was be flexible and adaptable in a way that other organisations couldn't. Do you know what I mean? They, they, were sort of like, they didn't have the red tape, but more importantly, they, they knew the people, they knew the relationships, they know their communities inside out. And I think that that's shown how vital they are in a, in a time where if something really goes wrong, like a global pandemic, then... They are the people on the front line. And that, that's not to say that other organisations didn't adapt, but they didn't adapt as quickly. That's a real, real point of recognition right now for all these organisations. I don't think anybody is disputing the fact that it was the CLD organisations who stepped up. Do you know what I mean? So with that, though, the funders played a big part in allowing the money and the funding that they offered to be used a lot more flexibly and used for where the communities seen it was needed. And I think that that would be something to see going forward is that there's been no real cases that I'm aware of of, of abuse of that of that funding, do you know what I mean, without the, the strict criteria or, um, or stuff that's in place. So if there's a pot of money 
I would love to see it being offered on a, on a place-based way. So actually, we, would, we might allocate this amount of money to Lanark and there might be a pot of money this size for Motherwell and there might be a bit this size for Paisley and, and whatever. And actually, it's then about the organisation saying, well, where do we use that best? So rather than applying for a pot of money, which is about using arts for wellbeing or whether it's about using sports to tackle childhood obesity, it's actually about saying we have the money and we're going to offer it to the community to, to decide what they want to do with it. So a lot more flexible, unrestricted funding. Do you know what I mean? To, to allow the organisations to implement the change that the communities need. Nobody knows the communities the way these organisations do. Nobody, your local authority is dealing with much bigger areas. There might be one or two people within the local authority. I, I know yourself, like you're, you're working in an area, but where the decisions are made and where the money gets spent isn't people who are at that point, do you know what I mean, um, that aren't doing the face-to-face -face work. And I think it would be good to see just the, the pots of money being avail made available where the organisations aren't pitted against each other, do you know what I mean, where there can be a lot more collaboration, where organisations can, if there's a, just for talking sake, around a million pound or whatever, that five organisations can come together and say, right, what are the five top things that we need in our community and try and take bits each to, no, no putting each other up against each other, but mm -hmm. rather than having conversations and saying, right, well, if we deal with this area and we ask for this pot of money and we take this area and take that pot of money and try and create a, a total wraparound with the services and stuff that you've got in a community to make sure that place is supported the most it can be. Having, like, I'm having conversations in my, my role now and that with various funders, and I think there is a shift to that. Like, it's, I don't, I don't think it's, it's a pipe dream type thing. I, I think that's been recognised and that sort of things that's, sounds like it's happening do you know what i mean or at least the foundations are getting put in to make that that approach um easier to deliver but i, I think the, the third sector organization the clg orgs and whatever they've proven their worth do you know what i mean and they've proven that when when they would when the one needed most they stepped up um mm -hmm. and there was no real abuse of the unrestricted funding or, or the removal of criteria or, or whatever that they were offered so i think even if it's just as an experiment, there's real scope to see that can a lot more difference be made just to give unrestricted flexible funding. Yeah, I think it's good for a lot of the funding that we had. Um, we've, we spoke to different funders like Cashback for Communities, for example. They were really good at letting us push back dates and be really flexible in what we were able to deliver yeah. and what we were able to achieve. Um, a lot of that as well was also, if you were able to move your programme online, it was then to... Right, how do we look at that, revisit it and do it? They were brilliant at really allowing us to do that. And Project Ab was talking about it. So one actually I tweeted today about the days of day Scotland play Czech Republic in the Euros. Um, we had a community football project. So it was we were able to delay our funding, things open back up, which is yeah. so much more valuable for what we need so that we can actually still work with the kids. Um, right. Rather than, but there was options to how can we make this online? How can we do that? And it was great. Uh, no, absolutely, and and you know, the funders aren't bad guys. Like it's not. I'm not trying to say that all oh, the funders are. It's, they're they're the tail wagging the dog, and they want to make it work as well. Do you know totally. what I mean? Like the conversations that I've had with funders, they're, they're all good people. They're all in the yeah. same sector. Do you know what I mean? It's, I think it's also making it work. Kindness. It's making it work in the current times. It's yeah, making it yeah. work for what what people need right now, which is important. Right. So it is that flexibility. Because speaking about, I'm totally behind the way that um, you're speaking. I think about the funding. If it is that more open approach, um, so that there's more different things to do in five years, 
is that going to be the case? You know, so Absolutely. it totally might need to be specific targeted and whatever. But I think where we are at the moment, more open funding is what community groups need. Aye, aye, and I think, I think the pandemics encouraged that sort of shift, um, and and like you say, like the, the funders offered a lot more flexibility. And that's not to say that organisations don't need evidence what they've done with their money or evidence the impact and stuff. Do you know what I mean? There, there can still be the same checks and balances to make sure that the money is getting used appropriately. It's just that maybe they are more bespoke to an organisation. Do you know what I mean? And they are more designed with the funder to say, right, this is this is how we're going to evidence it um, and this is what the community needs. But I definitely think there's, there's scope. I think the other thing that I would like to see is a wee bit more, and this is probably my personal perspective, but actually probably quite important locally and globally, but um, I'd like to see a bit more work under to, the underpinnings of a lot of the work being with um, climate change and sustainability in mind. Something that we keep talking about people. There's a buzz now about COP26 and, and getting stuff done. I don't think there's enough communication with communities about what that means in practice for them. Do you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I'd like to see if we really want to make a difference, which I'm keen to do. Do you know what I mean? I don't want the planet to die. I don't think anybody else does. But I think that it would be, it'd be good to have a bit more a bit more conversation and a bit more education on the ground level about how we can actually make those changes. Yeah. And how we can make sure that all the work that we do is as eco-friendly as possible and as, as sustainable as possible and and that actually when we're designing things it becomes second nature that we're designing things in an eco-friendly way um whether it's a project or whether we're looking at looking at buying a van like is there, is there a cheaper way of buying a van and just having those conversations because there seems to be a lot of buzz and i think i think sometimes people particularly in the third sector like a lot of practitioners are on Twitter and following all the stuff, and you see loads of stuff about like climate change and how do we do this and how do we do that. But on the ground and in communities, it's not a conversation that's happening anywhere near as often as you would think, um, given the, the amount of conversation that's happening at a professional level. And I think it would be, be really nice to, to have a bit more education and a bit more conversation on the ground about that sort of stuff to, to really try and make a change. So Something else I'd, on a personal level, quite like to see. I'd like to increase my, my own knowledge on that as well. So. Um. Cool, right, so I'll take us just on to the last question just now. So it's the one we just stick at every at the end of the podcast. So um, what advice would you give to someone who's looking to start a career in CLD? Yeah, um, so I think probably find something you love and then use that as a way to try and make change. And, and that might not be the right way for everybody, but I suppose that was was my way in, was to, to go th- via drama and find out how I can use the skills I learned via drama to to try and make change. So whether you're involved in drama or whether you do play football or whether you're into crochet or gardening or whatever it is you do, then use that passion. I think you need to bring a bit of, a bit of passion into, into the CLD to, to, to really want to keep you involved and, and keep you engaged um, and keep you wanting to make change. It has to be something that you care about. But also... Everybody that comes with their own passions is bringing different skill sets. They're bringing different points of view, and I think it's important that we, we there isn't one clear path. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't. If you want to go and do your CLD qualifications, absolutely. If you want to go and play golf and train to be a golfer and then involve young people in golf and then set up training camps and and and, and start your CLD career path that way, 
But I think there's only two things you need to have, and one's passion and one's a desire to make things better. Do you know what I mean? And I think with that, we're talking about it earlier on, actually, is ask questions, and hundreds of them, do you know what I mean? And don't be scared if you don't know an acronym or if you don't know what they're talking about whatsoever, just to say, listen, can you explain that? Can you, can you go into a bit more detail so that I can understand that a bit better? I've never met anyone, I bet my bottom dollar that you're probably the same color. And nobody says no. Do you know what I mean? Nobody says no, I'm not going to answer you. Like people, no. people are willing to give you the time. Um, there has been occasions where people might say, Can I pick up on this later? And then come back to me and maybe no address it there and then. But but they come back. I think there's so much flexibility in CLD that, that you can do that. But equally, make sure you're ready to listen to, um, as a, a key one. Because as much as I'm saying it's about passion and about trying, that's a good sort of way in. But also CLD is about communities and it's about people and it's about what they need. Do you know what I mean? So it's about bringing the skills and passion that you've got. But also being able to live, listen and take on board what other people and, and try and find the common ground and try and make it work for the way to bring the skills that you've got and passion that you've got and make it work for the people who, who, who need that support and, and need that development. So, Aye. I don't claim to have all the answers. I didn't come in CLD the traditional route, so I don't know. But that, that's the that's probably the best advice I would but, give. Do you know? I think the beauty is, but nobody's got all the answers. Nobody's got all the Aye, answers. So exactly. we're always yeah. learning, and it's, we're always listening to the people that are in front of us. So that, that's important. I think nobody will ever have them all. So nice one, mate. Look before you go. So Scotland and Czech Republic are playing. Score prediction. This will layer in a couple of weeks, so we'll see how this ages. <sighs> Two-one Scotland. Ah, that's what I'm saying as well. Two-one Scotland. Here we go. <laughs> cool. Aye. Nice one, man. Right, so where can people get you or your organisation on social media? Aye, so Twitter's the best place. So um, at CNS, at CN Scotland for Children's Neighbourhood Scotland. And I'm on Ian Corbett 88 um, on Twitter. But it's I-A-I-N-C-O-R-B-E-T-T um, is the best place for for both me and the organisation. So thanks very much. And thanks, Connor, for inviting us on and having it. really enjoyed that, actually. No, of course, mate. It's been really good to have you on. It's really good to learn more about you, man. So no, I appreciate it. Cheers for giving us keep up the good work. I think it's, it's an important thing that you're doing. I think, I know I had a bit of reluctance about coming on. Like, I'm no, I'm not the barometer of what's happening in communities or I've not got the experience that other people have. But I think the fact that you're just giving about letting people's voice be heard no matter what stage of their journey they're at, whether they're a coordinator or whether they're a volunteer or whether they're a CEO or whatever is, is admirable. And I think it's a, a, an, I think it's a sector that sells itself short. Probably Scotland's a country that sells itself short, to be honest. But I, I think the fact that you're out there and you're doing it and you're getting those conversations happening is important. So good on you. Keep it up. I'd just like to give Ian a massive thank you for joining me today. It's been really good to learn about your experience and keep up the amazing work, mate. To find us on Twitter, go to at CLD Talks, where you can keep up to date with all information about all future podcasts and you can join the conversation there. Thanks very much. See you next time.